The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. The gospel reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 9 and reading through 15. Let us uh, pray the Lord's Prayer together. Pray like this then, everyone. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. It's a real privilege to be here uh, on Father's Day with you and wrapping up our series on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, A few weeks ago, the Redwood Falls Gazette ran a very strange obituary. The names have been changed to protect the parties. The obituary read this way. Jane Doe was born in 1938 in Minnesota and married John Doe 19 years later. They had two children, Gina and Jay. So far, so good. In 1962, Jane became pregnant by her husband's brother and moved to California. The obituary continues. She abandoned her children, Gina and Jay, who were then raised by her parents in Clements. She passed away on May 31st, 2018 in Springfield and will now face judgment. She will not be missed by Gina and Jay, her children, and they understand that this world is a better place without her. Reading an obituary like that in the newspaper makes us recoil. It makes us shudder to think of this woman who died... Uh, having not experienced forgiveness from her children. It is horrifying to read something like this, and yet I think that there is a sense in which we can all relate. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we know that there are people and instances in our life that we just feel it impossible to forgive. Maybe it's, like where these two children, it's a parent, maybe on a Father's Day, it's a father who failed you in deep, irreconcilable ways. Maybe it's a person who's committed an act of abuse or violence against you or a loved one that is always with you. Maybe you don't have any of those big, major things to forgive, but you're like me. And there's a few conversations that you just can't get out of your head. And you return to them and you can feel the anger and the rage and the unforgiveness every time you think of that person or that situation. It can be hard to imagine extending forgiveness in the unforgiving world that we live in. But at the same time, we can also relate when we hear this obituary and fear because we also know deep down inside that we desperately need forgiveness and we often struggle to believe that we have been forgiven. This morning when I got up this to uh, prepare to preach, I walked down the hallway and I walked past a hole in the hallway wall uh, that I put there in a rage, in an argument with my wife, Rebecca. While I was holding Jubilee, my infant daughter who was baptized this morning, right after I vowed to be a good example for her. That is a humiliating story that shows 
my deep need for forgiveness and my outstanding question about whether I can be forgiven. And I'm humiliated to tell it to you. But the truth is, if you can see the house of my life, it's filled with holes like that. It's falling apart. The house of my life is. From my sin against my, the people closest to me. And I think behind all the junk we tell ourselves, I'm a good person, I try to do good things, I treat people like I want to be treated. We all know that in the quiet, there are things that we have done that haunt us. And it can be hard to receive forgiveness in a world of unforgiveness. And then Jesus comes and he talks about forgiveness a lot. And to understand what we're doing, we need to understand this prayer of forgiveness in light of the big story that the gospel writer Matthew is telling about Jesus. And that story can be summed up in one line. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. If you were one of Jesus' first audiences, you'd say, that's funny, I already live in a kingdom. I live in a culture, I live in a community, I know what the rules are here. I know who the rulers are here. And then Jesus shows up and says, no, 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 I'm bringing a new kingdom. A ruler who's bringing a new rule. And that rule and that world is going to turn your life and your world upside down. That's the gospel. We live in a broken kingdom. Jesus is bringing a flawless kingdom. And he's turning our world and our lives upside down. Uh, A a humorous illustration. Uh, When I was in college, I went to visit a, uh, a girlfriend of mine over the holidays. And I left. I got in the car on December 30th at midnight and drove nine hours to Houston, Texas. It was 25 degrees when I got in the car, so I was wearing wool socks and a sweatshirt and pants. And I was arriving in Houston to go to a football game. And somewhere on the nine-hour drive through the night, I passed the invisible line that divides the normal world from whatever the heck is going on in Texas. But I didn't know it until I pulled up and got out. I was like, whoa, whoa, a new kingdom has drawn near. What's with all the cowboy hats? Like, why am I looking up like this at all the trucks? And why is it 95 degrees on New Year's Eve? Right? And if I wanted to survive and thrive in this new world of Texas, which the kingdom of God is not like, thank you, Jesus, then I have to adopt behavior that fits my new world. I have to lose my wool socks and my sweatshirt to begin with and learn to live and the world turned upside down. The gospel is that Jesus has come to you in a dysfunctional kingdom that you've contributed in making a terrible place to live. And as Paul puts it, he has transferred you out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son, turning your world upside down. How does that story help us understand forgiveness this morning? The first thing I want us to see is that Jesus welcomes us into a kingdom where we can be assured that we are fully forgiven. Jesus welcomes us into a kingdom in which we can be assured we are fully forgiven. Like you, like me, the house of our lives has got holes that we put there, but Jesus shows up and says, you can come into my perfect kingdom anyhow. Jesus is a king who in chapter 9 of the book of Matthew looks at a sinner and says, my son, your sins are forgiven because I have authority. I am able to forgive you for them. Jesus is a king who in Matthew shows up at table and he says, who should I invite to dinner? I know who I'll invite. Tax collectors and prostitutes. Now, if you don't live with a bunch of tax collectors and prostitutes in the ancient world, you might not know exactly what's going on here. Tax collectors are the systemic oppressors of Jesus' day. Right? These guys uh, reflect 
the, the unjust oppressor whose boot is on your neck. And Jesus says, come to my table. And prostitutes and sinners are the people who are breaking all the rules that the good people follow. And Jesus is saying, come sit at my table. And when people ask him about that, he says, the whole reason why I came is to sit at the table like this. I've not come to call the righteous. I've come to call sinners. Jesus is the one who says, you want to know what I'm like? I'm like a shepherd. I have a hundred sheep. One leaves. I chase them to bring them back. You want to know what Jesus' kingdom is like? He tells us. He says, I'm like a guy who has somebody who owes him 10,000 talents. You say, Michael, what's 10,000 talents? I say, I don't know. But the commentary tells me that 10,000 talents is the equivalent of 200,000 years of labor. So Jesus says, I'm like a guy who another guy owes hundreds of lifetimes worth of debt. And I wipe it clean because I have compassion and pity on the one in debt. Jesus pays the cost of our sin. And if we're wondering how he does it, the Gospel of Matthew does not leave us with any outstanding questions because it tells us that Jesus went to the old rugged cross of Calvary and after forgiving us, he died the death that we deserved for trashing the house of our lives. Jesus tells us that he gives us his body and his blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Matthew tells us this Jesus is the fulfillment that Isaiah prophesied that he would be pierced for your transgressions, crushed for your iniquities, that the punishment that was on him brought us peace. We, all of us, were like sheep wandering. Each of us turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The good news is that Jesus is inviting you this morning to enter into a kingdom or remember that you are in a kingdom in which full assurance of forgiveness of sins is the reality. Here's the crazy part. I don't have to know what you've done this morning. And I sure as heck, I don't have to tell you about the worst things I've done. Believe me, the wall thing wasn't it. But without knowing... And assuming that there are people in this room who've been caught up in some of the worst crimes imaginable. I can never less tell you, Jesus offers you full, complete forgiveness and pardon no matter what. It's a message that we've heard so often that we forget that it's real. It's a message that we have to remember every single day of our lives. While you were yet sinners... Christ died for you. He bore your sins in his body on the tree. And you, this morning, can experience full forgiveness from sin and enter his kingdom characterized by forgiveness. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) But second of all, when we enter that kingdom of forgiveness, we learn that we can't live there Unless we are willing ourselves to forgive. The Bible makes it very clear. We cannot receive the gift of forgiveness unless we are willing to give the gift of forgiveness. In fact, it's worse than that. The Bible makes clear that we can't receive the gift of full forgiveness no matter what. Unless we're willing to give the gift of full forgiveness no matter what. The Bible 
hones in on this point. Jesus is praying this prayer. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. There's all sorts of crazy stuff in that prayer, right? God's bringing a kingdom on earth. We can only ask for daily bread. We're not going to get let. There's all sorts of crazy stuff that Jesus could have doubled back to. There's only one thing he doubles back to. There's only one thing that Jesus says, now I've taught you to pray, but, but hold on. Let me make sure you didn't miss this bit. You might have moved too quickly past that one phrase. Let me unpack this for you. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors means if you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven. If you forgive, you will be forgiven. Unimaginably hard words. Who can accept them? I think if we hear what the Bible is trying to teach us in the book of Matthew about forgiveness in context, we'll begin to learn how to become a community of forgiveness. What does the text tell us about how being this kind of forgiven and forgiving people becomes possible? The first thing we see you're liable to miss, which is just that forgiveness begins in prayer. The first time we hear about any kind of forgiveness in the book of Matthew is when Jesus tells his disciples, pray this way, forgive us our sins, forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Now, now you track with me here, because this is powerful. Jesus doesn't just give us a theology textbook that tells us a truth you can't be forgiven if you won't forgive he requires us every day of our lives to show up and remind god of that truth he doesn't just tell you something that's true about your reality you can't forgive unless you've been forgiven he forces you to come to him every day and say forgive me only to the extent that i'll forgive others it's the most self-incriminating prayer ever This is a horrifying prayer. In fact, in the 16th century, you're going to love this. We have some church records that show us a Swiss Christian who pretended that he forgot the Lord's Prayer in worship because he didn't want to have to forgive somebody who screwed him over. That guy got it. You and I don't. God says the only prayer for forgiveness that you have is incriminating. Because every time you ask for forgiveness, you're going to be reminded that there are people in that very room praying with you. Or in your heart praying with you that you struggle to forgive. Forgiveness has to begin in prayer. It begins on our knees with God. Jesus is our example of the one who facing torture and death said, Father, not my will, but yours. And we say, how could he do that? And Jesus is the one who hung on a cross and said, Father, forgive them. And we say, how could he do that? And Jesus says, I'll tell you how you become that sort of person. You pray this prayer every day and as we pray your will be done forgive us as we forgive our debtors god uses our encounter with him to shape our hearts daily to become a forgiving people now what that means is that forgiveness is a process no one's asking you to summon up forgiving feelings for the people who've hurt you the most it's a process and a gift that we receive and it begins in prayer But it also means that forgiveness is not a practice that has any limits. Some of us get tired of forgiving. We get tired of putting up with people's sins. Sometimes the same people sin over and over and over again. But in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus actually tells us. One of his disciples says, okay, what's the limit? Do I have to forgive people seven times? I have to pray your Lord's Prayer seven times about that person? Then I can pray some different prayer? Like, smite that dude, O Lord? 
Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Not seven. Seventy times seven. Which is to say an infinite amount. Forgiveness begins when we talk to God daily, constantly, the way He has taught us to talk to Him. Forcing ourselves to see the connection between receiving the gift of forgiveness and extending the gift of forgiveness. Pleading with Him to make us a people who can forgive. But secondly, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew and the Lord's Prayer, which is within the Sermon on the Mount, make it really, really clear. Forgiveness requires us to tell the truth about our individual and corporate sins that are being forgiven. Forgiveness requires us to tell the truth about our individual and corporate sins that are being forgiven. Jesus tells us to ask for forgiveness, but he doesn't just leave that open-ended. See, later on in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, I know you church folk. Some of you are going to be in church, and you're going to go up to bring your gifts and put in the offering plate, and you're going to remember that somebody's mad at you because of what you said at community group, or how you didn't include her in that invitation to your kid's party, or whatever, and you stop church, and you go find that person, and you reconcile. In other words, Jesus is saying, you've got to tell the truth about the individual things that are sowing seeds of bitterness, and go fix them. And... Jesus says, by the way, I know that you're an ethnic minority in occupied territory oppressed by a powerful oppressor. And one thing that powerful oppressor does is make you carry their stuff for a mile. You know what I want you to do? I want you to carry their stuff for two miles. Jesus isn't being generic. He's saying this radical, enemy-loving, peacemaking, sacrificial forgiveness is addressed to all individual and corporate sins, but it requires us to tell the truth about those sins. And we don't like doing that. Someone says to you, uh, I'm sorry I did this. What's your response? What do you say? We say things like, it was nothing. Don't mention it. No big deal. Thanks. All of those are ways of avoiding being true to the debt that is owed us, and then truly forgiving that debt. We have to teach ourselves and our children to say, this is how you hurt me, Matthew says to do that. Or, here, this is how you hurt me. To hear the truth of that, and then, and only then, to extend forgiveness. And this plays out corporately too. Uh, Many of you will know that the theologian James Cone died a few weeks ago, whose 2011 work, The Cross and the Lynching Tree, raised the question of how it was that within the living memory of this generation, white Christians who worshipped a God who was tortured, his flesh was mutilated, his body was humiliated, to the jeers and taunts and celebrations of the wicked, how could the white church worship that God on Sunday, Cone asks, and then go out and through lynching, brutally torture, mutilate, humiliate black and brown men and women, often amidst celebration and festivities that were shared and celebrated in the local newspaper, within living memory of some of our brothers and sisters living today. And Cone says, with, with understandable rage, how could this hypocrisy be? If forgiveness that Jesus is talking about extends to even the systemic and corporate sins of us and our fathers, we can't get to it without telling that truth. We can't get to it without hearing folks like Cone saying, this is worse than you think it is. But that's precisely the history that I didn't get in my Christian schools. That's precisely the history that I want to move quickly past when we talk about racial reconciliation and forgiveness. 
But forgiveness that doesn't tell the truth about the debt isn't kingdom forgiveness. And, and, and when we hear that, we all of a sudden go like, whoa, I don't know if I'm up for that. Because if we're honest and we don't push down the debt, we don't push down the sin, we don't you know, suppress the offense, we start wondering, isn't forgiveness just good news for the bad guys? Isn't forgiveness just a tool that wife beaters and, and Nazis and slaveholders and abusers use to keep poor, broken, humiliated people in check? And people ask, if that's the kind of forgiveness you're talking about, I don't want any part of it. And the other thing that we see, brothers and sisters, when we put the Lord's prayer in the context of the Sermon on the Mount is this. Jesus welcomes us into a kingdom of forgiveness and a kingdom of justice at both and the same time. And Jesus calls his people to active forgiveness and to fight for justice both at the same time. The only kind of forgiveness of the kingdom is forgiveness that is bound up in the justice making of a king who said, even a person who's as fragile as a blade of grass, I won't break. Even a woman who's as smoldering as a candle, I won't blow out until I bring justice unto victory. That's the kind of king we're following when we hear, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. we got to tell some truths here this morning, folks. This Month, the former president of a major evangelical seminary in a major evangelical denomination got fired because 10 years ago, he told a student who had been raped that she should not report that crime to police and that she should forgive the person who raped her. We need to tell that story because if that's the world of forgiveness that you think Jesus has invited you into, you couldn't be more wrong. That's not what forgiveness looks like for King Jesus. There's no forgiveness that doesn't go through the hard road of telling the truth about injustice in the attempt to seek justice. There's no way to experience a kingdom of forgiveness without simultaneously entering and embracing a kingdom of justice. Not because of some social gospel, but because of the nature of King Jesus who calls us to forgive and calls us to do justice. And as hard as it is to hold all that together, the truth of the church is the saints have occasionally done this. I mean, think of Desmond Tutu, brutalized by racism in South Africa, leading the Truth and Reconciliation Committee and declaring we have no future without forgiveness. Think about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s stalwart commitment to justice and enemy-loving, peacemaking forgiveness. Just this week, uh, the Lynching Site Project, which is an organization dedicated to telling the truth about lynching in our community, uh, made us aware that a man named, um, uh, what was his name? Sorry, lost my place in my notes. Charlie Morris passed away just a week ago at the age of 98. Charlie witnessed his half-brother being lynched when he was 20. And he spent the rest of his life fighting to bring that story and that truth to light. And even as he fought for justice, he also testified to the process of forgiveness that he himself had been through. And when asked on national television about his fight for equal justice, he declared the first step to equal justice is love. Beyond all our comprehension is a king who won't give an inch when it comes to justice. 
and a king who won't give an inch when it comes to full forgiveness and a people who are being called to follow in his footsteps. That means that if you're here this morning and you are comfy in your life of sin because you are counting on forgiveness, you have misunderstood Jesus and you are in danger of missing him. And if you are a person who is or has experienced abuse or violence or threats that you are not telling the truth about because you have been mistaught this passage, I want you to know that God calls you to forgive but not at the expense of justice and that we invite you to come and tell the truth some of our community group leaders, some of our pastors, and to begin to learn what it looks like to pursue justice in your situation and forgiveness both at the same time. Please don't leave here this morning without doing that. And the goal of all of it, of course, is a community of reconciliation. You see, we don't just individually pray every day, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We pray it together. And the call of Jesus and the example, praise the Lord, of the early church is that they actually became a community at which I owe debts to you and you owe debts to me and we all owe debts to God and we are receiving and giving the gift of forgiveness in every direction. That's the testimony of Christ, that that's the community that he wants. Where he can receive healing and reconciliation and forgiveness and peace. Where enemies can become friends and lovers only because of the glory and goodness of Jesus. Only because the overwhelming debt of our individual and corporate sin has been paid for in the very blood of our Lord. And when we come to communion and we receive the wine that symbolizes the blood poured out for many, we extend that same forgiveness that we receive in the body of Christ. And that's good news, folks. It's costly news. Forgiveness costs our Lord something, and it's going to cost you something. Being forgiven costs us something. The whole thing is expensive. We don't have to like it. We don't have to enter His kingdom. But if we do, these are the conditions. But when we do, When we become a people characterized by forgiveness, it's not just good news for us. It is God's way of loving and wooing his broken, sinful, unforgiving world. Ten years ago, ten years ago, in a small town in Pennsylvania, a gunman walked into a schoolhouse and murdered five Amish girls, a known member of the community. That week, they buried those girls. The next day, they buried the shooter who'd committed suicide after killing those five girls. That funeral of that murderer was attended by at least 30 members of the Amish community whose families he had murdered. At that funeral, those Amish families embraced and wept with the murderer of their children's widow and the murderer of their children's now orphaned children. And then that Amish community set up a fund to help provide for that widow and those those orphans of the man who'd murdered their children. And ten, not excuse me, three years ago today, three years ago today, in a different part of the country, Dylan Roof walked into Emmanuel AME Church and slaughtered nine African-American church members at a Bible study. And later that week, 
This neo-Nazi, self-consciously trying to create a race war, who'd murdered these people in a sacred space like this one, faced some of the family members of the dead. And this is what some of them said. This is what Felicia Sanders, the mother of Tawanza Sanders, said. She said, we welcomed you Wednesday night in our Bible study with welcome arms. You have killed some of the most beautiful people that I know. Every fiber in my body hurts and I'll never be the same. Tawanza Sanders was my son. Tawanza Sanders was my hero. Tawanza was my hero. But may God have mercy on you. Another said, I would just like Mr. Roof to know that that what was just said is true for me too. I forgive him and my family forgives him. But we would like him to take this opportunity to repent, confess, give your life to the one who matters most, Christ, so that he can change you and change your ways. What united these two communities, different ethnicities, different geographies, only this, brothers and sisters, they had become a community that had so received the gift of forgiveness that they knew how to pass it on in the most horrendous circumstances imaginable. And what was the result? In a world in which the news headlines constantly remind us of the church's abysmal failure to say anything about Jesus, it's that little Amish community out in the middle of nowhere and those saints in that little church in Charleston who've provided one of the greatest testimonies to the gospel of Jesus Christ in the 21st century. To become a community of forgiveness only happens at great cost, but the reward is to fulfill our job description as the light to the world, the salt of the earth. I teach at a college with a bunch of... um, Folks who are, you know, black Baptists and Pentecostals, and they've taught me that I get eight endings in preaching. Uh, I would say I'm on my third. I'm going to take it. And as I take my third and final ending, I want to invite our community group leaders and our elders and our pastors to come forward. And I want to remind you of this hard teaching. It is a hard teaching to look sin and death in the face and to believe that Jesus' love goes all the way down to healing in our lives and in the lives of others. And I want to name right now that some of you, like me, are what my friend Marlon Foster calls career Christians. You've been at this a long time. You've been in a lot of Sunday services. You've seen a lot of altar calls. And you really love the Lord. But you are struggling to forgive as you have been forgiven. You are laboring under the debt and the burden of unforgiveness. You are caught in the darkness of hate and desire for revenge. I know there are people in here experiencing that. And I know that some of you in here experiencing that on Father's Day are experiencing that because your father really and truly acted in ways that will be with you for a lifetime. Brothers and sisters... If you've known Jesus for 15 minutes or 1,500 years, if you are having trouble on the road to forgiveness, there are people ready to come alongside you and say, you might not be ready to say, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, but we can say it together. There are people who are willing to pray that prayer for you this morning. There are people here who are willing to invoke the power of the Spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ To shake your heart and transform you into one like our Lord who can extend 
full forgiveness. If you are laboring under the burden of unforgiveness, don't just go home and pray in your prayer closet. Come and be prayed for here. And if there is anyone here who has never received the forgiveness of Jesus, I would just remind you of the words that we sang before. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. You don't deserve it. You cannot own it. Still, He gives and He gave Himself away for you. Don't leave, please. For the love of God and for the love of yourself until you've experienced the healing from that which you cannot be healed otherwise. And the men and women here are ready to explain and labor with you in prayer. And if you don't understand it, how, what's all this blood talk and forgiveness talk? Come, come, risk and receive, receive the life and the healing that only came through Jesus' sickness unto death. And may God make us into a people where forgiveness is drunk all the way down and shared around the table of our Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we are not prepared to follow in the footsteps of your overwhelming, reckless love. Would you pour forgiveness into our hearts to such an extent that it overflows in forgiveness to others? God, if there are those here who are struggling to forgive, God, I pray even now that your spirit would loose the bonds of the enemy that keep them in unforgiveness, that you would free them from the burden of unforgiveness. And that they would experience the gift of entering the road of forgiving their enemies. And Father, for those who don't know you, would you bring them to yourself? Would you bring them to yourself, to your cross, to your resurrection, to your enemy-loving, overwhelming, forgiveness-extending heart? Lord, would you still be in downtown Memphis today a shepherd who leaves the 99 and comes looking for us? Looking for us, for we were wandering far, and you have come near and done all that is necessary. Lord, we love you. We are in awe of you. We are overwhelmed by you. Be present as we continue in worship this morning. Amen.